Welcome to the podcast for Icon Church. We are a Seattle-based community that believes all people are icons of the invisible God, made in His image to reflect His glory and grace. We are starting a new series today um, that was actually planned to start the week after Easter. So we're actually only moving it up a couple weeks, but it's really kind of providential um, that we had this in the works. So the title of this series is A Rule for Life, Finding Peace in an Anxious World. Okay, and so we're gonna be talking over the next uh, seven weeks about what it looks like to have a rule of life. Now, I know the word rule can sound weird, uh, but trust me, it's better than the freedom uh, kind of mantra that we've been sold, this illusion of freedom. In fact, I've noticed uh, in the last couple of weeks how quickly our culture has pivoted from the idea of like, hey, you do you, you be you, freedom's the highest ideal, to all of a sudden everybody pressuring each other to sacrifice for the greater good, to sacrifice for our neighbors, right? It's almost as if that that was the better way to live all along and not just in a crisis. So it's kind of interesting how that's pivoted. But a rule of life um, is an ancient practice really popularized and mostly practiced um, by monks ordering their community um, with a rule or a kind of a, a way of being, a way of living together. Okay, so rather than thinking of it like a, a list of rule, random rules that we're putting together for our life, um, that we should think of it more like an ordered practice for a flourishing life, an ordered practice for a flourishing life. Jesus had a word for this in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lonely, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus calls it a yoke, a way of being in the world that actually frees you from anxiety and frees you for rest. This promise of rest that Jesus gives us. Paul in Philippians 4 says something similar. Uh, Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be, be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That, that line there in verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding is, is one of my favorite lines. This is peace that makes no sense. It's stupid peace, right? Peace that, that goes beyond our ability to understand how we could have peace uh, in, in a given moment, right? And he, he kind of sets us up for it in the passage by saying at the very beginning in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And then later in verse six, do not be anxious about anything. Now that to me sounds like unreasonable peace, peace that makes no sense. That's stupid peace. The kind of peace that would allow you to rejoice in the Lord always and to never, ever, ever be anxious. That's pretty remarkable. 
And that's the promise, right? That's the promise of Jesus, that his yoke, his way of being can create a kind of rest for us um, that is the rest for our souls, not just lying down physically resting, but in fact, rest for our souls. And then Paul's promise that we can have a kind of peace that makes no actual sense. It's not peace, oh, it's peace because you're wealthy and secure and safe. It's not that kind of peace. It's peace that exists in any scenario that would allow us to rejoice always and never be anxious. Now, here's the problem. It's kind of too late for this, right? There's so much going on in our world already that it's kind of too late to prepare ourselves to have the kind of rest for our souls and, and peace that makes no sense that the scriptures are talking about, right? Today is here. The game is on. It's all happening, right? The, the coronavirus is here. We're losing jobs. We're quarantined to our homes. We're only meeting in, in very small groups or just with our family. All of what could and often does create stress and anxiety, it's here. So there's a sense in which um, we're too late to create, to kind of cultivate this kind of rest and peace that the scriptures are talking about. So however we are responding today to this outside stimulus tells us a little bit of what our accidental rule of life has been and what it has produced in us, right? So a rule of life is an intentional, uh, an active, a proactive way of shaping our life to produce in us and through us certain activities and certain responses. But all of us have kind of accidental rules of life. We, we have been acting and we have been preparing our lives in certain ways, whether we know it or not. And so whatever we're experiencing now is what that accidental rule of life has produced right? So for you sports fans, we can think of a rule of life like an athlete thinks about practice, not like Allen Iverson thinks about practice, but how most of them think about practice. And it's this, practice is preparation for the game. Once the game begins, you're done, right? You don't get better in the game. Once you're in the game, the practice is over and you are what you are, right? The game can only demonstrate what practice has made you, okay? So when I was a kid, there was this guy named Michael Jordan, and he was a really good basketball player, right? Arguably the best that there ever was, still to this day. He was amazing. And, and I, when I was a kid, um, he was at his peak, right? So uh, he, the Bulls won the championship in 91, 92, 93. He went and played baseball for 94, 95 for some reason. And then he came back to the NBA and won it again in 96, 97, 98. I mean, it was dominant, right? Six NBA championships in the six years he competed, okay? In 1991, his very first championship, game two against the Lakers, one of the most iconic moments in all of NBA history, right? Jordan is dominating this game and he gets the ball at the top of the key and drives into the lane to do a right-handed layup. Well, a defender comes up to block the shot and in midair, Jordan pulls the ball back down, switches to his left and lays it up with his left hand. One of the most amazing plays we've ever seen. Everybody freaks out. The announcers freak out. The players freak out. It's incredible. You've probably seen it on highlight. Now, many of you probably don't know who Michael Jordan is. Just picture him as an old LeBron James. Um, but this was an amazing moment that testified 
to Jordan's preparation, his athletic ability, his basketball prowess, all of this in this one amazing moment. So by the time the game starts, it's too late to get better, right? By the time Jordan reaches that moment, it, it, he's not practicing for that, right? Like he can't in that moment go, okay, I need to learn how to switch hands and do a reverse layup and all this. It's done. Whatever he has done up to that point has prepared him for this moment and then he can just react. And he has to react. And he has to react with only what he has at his fingertips. All of the skill, all of the ability, all of the athleticism that he has gained up until that moment. And then it's over and he just has to use what he has. So, for us, by the time our game starts, it's too late to get better. By the time the virus hits, you are who you are. By the time your child gets sick or you lose your job or any kind of anxiety-inducing, uh, peace-stealing event takes place in your life, it's too late to get prepared. You respond as you are. So, who are you? This moment has, has, is a revelatory moment, if nothing else, and should reveal to us what we have been preparing for and what it has made us to be, shaped us to be. And so now we ask ourselves, who are we? Contrary to what we've been sold, the key to peace, real peace, isn't about controlling your environment. It's not about managing your schedule. It's not about learning to multitask or create margin or be prepared or make a life plan. None of that is the key to peace. It's all good, but you can't life plan yourself in the midst of a global pandemic. Nobody prepares for this. We can't control this, right? So the key to peace isn't about controlling your outside. The key to peace is about your character. It's about who you are. It has nothing to do with what's going on around you, which is what allows Paul to say, rejoice always and never be anxious. And that Jesus can promise rest for our souls without context. Jesus didn't say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and I can offer you rest for your souls as long as everything's fine and nothing crazy is happening. It's not the offer. The offer is peace in any context rest in any context. So it's not about what's happening out there. It's about what's happening in here. And here's how I know. We are all responding to this situation differently, right? We respond to all situations differently. Two different people can respond to the exact same, same stimulus in exactly opposite ways. Coronavirus has caused some of us to be fearful and anxious because of the harm that could come. Others have experienced that same fear and anxiety, but because they feel out of control. Others, because they can't work. And for some of those people who fear not being able to work, it's about loss of income and the potential tragedy that could come from that. But for others of us, it's not about the loss of income. It's that they fear the loss of identity, the loss of value, the loss of meaning. If they can't work, how do they know if they're winning? And if they don't know if they're winning, how do they know if they're a winner or a loser? Right? Like this is, these kinds of external events only kind of reveal and trigger what's going on in us and reveal the truth about who we are. 
So however we, we are reacting to this, and we're going to talk about a lot of different reactions that we're seeing in our community and around the world, but however we are reacting, it's because of who we are. Our preparation, our practice, our rule of life, whether accidental or arbitrary as, as it may be, that has made us who we are. So what have you been practicing for? And how well have you been practicing? Dallas Willard uh, says this, a successful performance at a moment of crisis rests largely and essentially upon the depths of a self wisely and rigorously prepared in the totality of its being, mind and body. Let me say that again. A successful performance at a moment of crisis rests largely and essentially upon the depths of a self wisely and rigorously prepared in the totality of its being, mind and body. Now here's the hard part. This takes work and it doesn't come easy. Just like anything else in this world, right? Character formation is much harder than behavioral modification. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about true character formation. We're talking about our self being, as uh, Willard said, wisely and rigorously prepared. And that's a challenge. That's a hard thing. Just like anything else worth doing in the world, it's a hard thing. I tell my kids this all the time. When they, whenever they struggle, whether it's learning to play the guitar or learning to play baseball or play catch or whatever, the simplest things, I always tell them, nothing worth doing is easy. Everything that is valuable and important is hard. To which, of course, my son goes, oh, what about breathing? And I go, maybe you should stop breathing. I don't say that, but I think about it. So here's the thing. This is the truth. Everything that's hard, everything that's worth doing, or everything that's worth doing is hard. Everything that's valuable, that really shapes us in meaningful ways, is going to take work. M. Scott Peck, in his book, The Road Less Traveled, said it this way. There are many people I know who possess a vision of personal evolution, yet seem to lack the will for it. They want and believe it is possible to skip over the discipline, to find an easy shortcut to sainthood. Often they attempt to attain it by simply imitating the superficialities of saints. Some even believe that by such imitation, they have really become saints and prophets and are unable to acknowledge that they are still children and face the painful fact that they must start at the beginning and go through the middle. So Peck's point is, there's a lot of people who have a vision for what they want to be, right? They can, they can uh, en envision the, their, their holy selves or their successful selves because it's not just about Christians and sainthood, right? I mean, this is all people and the visions we have is we want to be like our heroes, our icons, right? And so we imitate the, the kind of the most shallow, simple outcome version of who they are thinking that that will make us like them. Okay, and so we think about their style, or we think about their Instagram persona, persona, we think about some of the outcomes of their life, but we don't want to commit ourselves to the work that it takes to actually become like them, right? So I grew up playing baseball, loved baseball, and one of my heroes was Ted Williams. And he was one of the greatest hitters of all time, way older than me, 
But I remember as a, as a young kid reading his book, The Science of Hitting, and studying how he went about his process of learning to be the greatest, one of the greatest hitters of all time, right? And it was, it was complicated and it, was, it required a lot of hard work. He was a crazy disciplined person. And I remember reading through his process thinking, okay, I can't go from 12-year-old Justin to being Ted Williams just by copying his batting stance or copying the way he dressed or copying the way he moved. I have to copy the way he works. I have to copy the way he practices. I have to copy the way he thinks about baseball, thinks about hitting. Like it's a super detailed process. Now, if any of you are thinking, okay, that's fine for Jordan, it's fine for Ted Williams, it's fine if you wanna be an artist or musician or whatever, but how, how, how can that be the way it works for Christianity? Right? Like, I thought we were saved by grace. This sounds like effort. This sounds like earning. This, is, this just doesn't sound right. Now, I get that, but it's wrong thinking. Okay? Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, says this. He goes, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is, is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So, did you notice the words that Paul used in that section to Timothy? right? Train, training, trained, toil, strive. Like this is work. And, and Paul isn't, he's not messing around about this. He goes, listen, this is going to take work. Now, here's the difference between what we believe and what maybe uh, other, other faiths believe. We don't believe that it's our work that earns us the love of God. Right? So uh, again, Dallas Willard famously said, the gospel is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. This is the difference, right? So the grace of Jesus is offered to us freely, at great cost to him, but free to us. It requires no effort for us to earn the love of God or to earn the grace of God. But once we have earned, the, or once we have received the love of God and received the grace of God, it absolutely takes effort to apply that to our lives, to grow our character and grow ourselves into the image of God. And it is absolutely a prayerful, prayerful process. It is a gracious, merciful God process. It's a Holy Spirit process. There's no question about any of that. But there's also no question that it takes work. And it takes application on our end, proactive, intentional work on our end to create in us the kinds of self, the kind of character that God requires. So, how do we do this? We're going to talk in detail uh, over the next seven weeks about what a rule of life looks like. And in fact, um, if you go to iconchurch.org slash rule for life, um, we're going to have a bunch of resources up there, a template um, that you can fill in with to make your own uh, rule of life and uh, all, all kinds of stuff through Instagram and the website that's going to be resources for you. So we're going to talk in detail what that looks like. But here's the general vision. 
A rule of life includes practices that shape us into the kinds of people who can act like Jesus in honest and consistent ways. A rule of life has three things to it. One, it's relational in that it causes us to be with God. Two, it's formational in that it causes us to be like God. And then third, it's missional in that it causes us to act like God. And all three of those things are really important and the order is really important. That we would be with God so that we can be like God so that we can act like God. Relational, formational, missional. Be with God, be like God, and act like God. Often we focus on a couple of different things, right? We focus on learning about God or believing better, believing harder in God so that we will act like God. So most of the discipleship we have experienced in our lives to the degree that that's been proactive and intentional is more information so that we can better obey, right? Now, this isn't bad and wrong. More information about God is good and acting like God is good, right? What would Jesus do and all that? But it misses two critical pieces. First, is that we were made to be with God. That we're not made just to know things about God, but we are made to know God, to actually be in relationship with him, right? God says, Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That means that the, what we were created for is a love relationship with God. God. That's what we were made for, to be with him, to actually know him, not just know things about him. We'll talk about that more next week. Second, it misses the formation piece altogether, that we are to be made into the kinds of people who act like God in all aspects of life. So rather than saying, okay, I believe these things about God, and now I know what to do, how to act in these kind of moral ethical categories. We, in that, when we, when we just think about those two things, like input into our heads and output through our activity, we miss the way it can shape who we are. And so it doesn't form us into the kinds of people who are ready to respond and react to all the varied kind of external stimuli that life gives us, right? Which actually takes us back to Jordan. So Michael Jordan didn't spend hours and hours and hours practicing that one shot. It's likely that that was the first time Michael Jordan has ever driven down the lane with one hand, gone down, scooped underneath and, and, and scored with the other hand. It's probably the only time he'd ever done that in his whole life, right? It's not that he's spending hours and hours practicing that one shot over and over and over. But he did spend hours and hours and hours becoming a basketball player who has the uh, ability and knowledge to respond and react to whatever the game presents and that he's shaped his body to be the kind of athlete that could pull off what his mind thinks about, right? I could drive down the lane, go up with my right hand, see somebody like Sam Perkins come up and try to block it. And I could think, oh, I should switch hands and go up with the other hand. But literally by the time I have that thought, I would already have landed on the ground, right? Like, cause I can't jump. So he, he, shaped himself, his brain, his body, everything about him to be able to respond well to whatever the game brought him. Okay, so that's the kind of formation that we're talking about. Dallas Willard says again, so we should be perfectly clear about one thing. 
Jesus never expected us to simply turn the other cheek. Do you hear that? Let me say that again. Jesus never expected us simply to turn the other cheek, go the second mile, bless those who persecute us, give unto them that ask, and so forth. These responses, generally and rightly understood to be characteristic of Christ-likeness, were set forth by him as illustrative of what might be expected of a new kind of person, one who intelligently and steadfastly seeks, above all else, to live within the rule of God and be possessed by the kind of righteousness that God himself has, as Matthew 6.33 portrays, right? So in Matthew 6.33, this is near, is like the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has just talked about anxiety and peace and all of this and sums up the whole section saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you, right? So Jesus just taught through the Beatitudes and prayer and all this stuff and then goes, why are you worried? We've got the, the flowers in the field, God cares about them. The birds in the air, God provides for them. Why would you be worried about anything? He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? Seek God himself, seek God's kingdom, seek the righteousness that comes by being in the presence of God, that right being, right status, right self, being who you are, that's righteousness. And he goes, when you do that, all the rest of this stuff will be added to you, okay? This is about formation, not behavior modification. That's a critical piece, that we would just be the kinds of people that God created us to be. And then Jesus says, and all the rest of it will be added unto you. It'll all come as a result of that. The last thing I want to say is this. The rule is not the point. A rule of life is a very easy thing to make into just a new kind of legalism. Just another box to check. I have a rule of life. I follow the rule of life. And, and that somehow mechanically makes us into the kind of person that we need to be. Forgetting altogether that the rule is not the point. The rule just brings us to the presence of God, right? The rule is not the point, but it points us to the point. Jesus is the point. Being with him is the point. Being shaped by him is the point. Acting like him as a result of being like him is the point. The rule gets us there. But it's not the point. Just like the game is the point, not practice. Without practice, we lose the game. And so that matters. But practice isn't the point. The game is the point. We get that? Now, I want to take us back to Matthew chapter 11 to wrap up here. Back to this word yoke. Because um, for those of us who didn't grow up on a farm, we may not know exactly what a yoke is. Um, but the vision is this that in order to pull a cart or to pull whatever that animals on farms pull, um, that they would put two, say, ox together, oxen, whatever, uh, and, and they would tie them together by a kind of a wooden frame that was called the yoke. And the idea was that you needed two oxen um, that were of similar speed and strength. This is the idea of being equally yoked for those of you out there dating non-Christians, right? So this is the idea. Now, when it comes to us being yoked to Jesus, this is not our situation. The idea isn't that we would kind of try to catch up to Jesus and be as strong or be as holy or be like him in every way so that we could be equally yoked. No, the invitation to rest that Jesus gives us is to say, here, 
if you yoke yourself to me, I will be the strong one. I will be the one doing the pulling and you just get to rest. You get to be in my presence and benefit from my strength. It's the same idea that Paul gives us back in Philippians 4, right? Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. Okay. The only way Philippians 4, 4 and 4, 6 can ever be true for us is if we understand 4, 5, where he says, the Lord is at hand. It is only the presence of God in our lives that could ever allow us to rejoice always and to never be anxious. That's the point of the rule. That's the point of this whole thing, that we're yoked to Jesus, that we're with him, that he is at hand. So when all of the craziness of life is hitting us, whether it's a pandemic or a loss of work or whatever, the only hope we have to rejoice in all things and to never be anxious is the fact that God is here, the Lord is at hand, the creator and the sustainer of the universe is here, and that we can be yoked to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you give us things like a rule for life that um, are tools that allow us to know you, to draw our attention to you, Lord, but we know they're not the point. You're the point. Being with you, being shaped by you, being in your presence and becoming like you is the point. It always has been the point. And so in a sense, I'm thankful for something like this virus that it, at least in spite of all the pain and in spite of all the suffering, Lord, it, it opens our eyes. It opens our eyes to the reality that um, we have never been in control and that when control is so obviously taken away from us that we grasp for it, we want it so badly. So God, I pray that in this time we would seek your yoke. We would seek to come alongside you and be led by you, that we would, um, we would tie ourselves to you and your strength and your capability in this time. So whether the, the fear causes us to try to minimize the reality of what's happening or to acknowledge the reality but reach for other solutions, God, I pray that we would repent of that, not yoke ourselves to other means of protection, Lord, but yoke ourselves to you acknowledge that you are at hand you are here so we don't have to be anxious and we can rejoice in all things because you're here not because what's going on outside is good or in any way not serious but because you are better and more powerful than all of it impress these things on our heart during this season in christ's name we pray amen thank you for listening to the podcast for icon church for more information, go to iconchurch.org.